ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey guys, welcome to Giggly Squad, a place where we make fun of everything, but most importantly, ourselves. I'm Paige DeSorbo. I'm Hannah Burner. Welcome to the squad. Giggly Squad started on Summer House when we were giggling during an inappropriate time. But of course, we can't be managed. So we decided to start this podcast to continue giggling. We will make fun of pop culture news. We're watching. Fashion trends. Pep talks where we give advice. Mental health moments. And games and guests. Listen to Giggly Squad on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome along to this special international edition of the La Liga Lowdown mini-pod with Radio Sakhanov and broadcasts on Sirius XMFC 157. Uh, this week, we're focusing mainly on the Spain national team after their two games in the last week. One a friendly, uh, the other in the UEFA Nations League as Spain played Wales away last Thursday and then England in Seville on Monday night. We'll also be touching on the under-21s and the under-19s. Plus, we'll look ahead to the return of La Liga this coming weekend. And I'll be chatting to two other members of the La Liga Lowdown squad in this mini-pod, uh, Ewan McTeer a bit later on. But first, uh, let's just catch up with Roman de Arquer, who is in Barcelona, uh, to recap, I suppose, a week of extremes for La Roja after that game against England. How are you, first of all, Roman? Hi, David. Very good and ready to talk about the games we just saw recently. Yeah, let's start off then with the 2-3 defeat to uh, England on Monday night. I mean, this was a mad game, wasn't it? At the Estadio Benito Villamarín, which is a pretty mad place at the best of times. Um, Spain had only lost there once in 13 previous games. And the team that started this game uh, read as follows. Uh, David De Gea in goal, Johnny Otto at right back, uh, Nacho, Sergio Ramos, Marco Alonso, that was the, the rest of the back four. Thiago, Busquets and Saul was the midfield. And then Diago Aspas, Rodrigo and Marco Asensio as the front three. Let's just take you through the goals because there were five of them. Uh, Raheem Sterling on 16 minutes and this came from England really playing quite well at the back um, and then an excellent pass from Harry Kane to Marcus Rashford and then from Rashford into Sterling and he finished emphatically so that was 1-0 which became 2-0 just before the half hour. Uh, this time a long ball catching Spain out, Kane holding it up really well and then an excellent ball in for Rashford to finish and then would you believe it England 3-0 up on 38 minutes and again it's Raheem Sterling but this was a different type of goal, superb movement, Spain failing to clear their lines. Uh, Ross Barkley's chip over the top Harry Kane centering and Sterling finishing from close range so unbelievably Spain 3-0 down at half time uh, but things did change in the second half especially with the subs Paco Alcácer had just come on as a substitute barely a minute before and he heads home from a corner then there were penalty shouts for both sides uh, for Sterling for England and Rodrigo for uh, Spain and then pretty much the last action of the game Sergio Ramos with a header from a Dani Ceballos cross uh, for 3-2 but then the final whistle sounded and there wasn't enough time uh, for Spain to get their equaliser so <laughs> Roman how do you assess that? Well, I must say it was a very hectic game, like lots of chances on both sides. Um, England were very solid at the back, whereas Spain weren't uh, very good at all, to be honest. Uh, Nacho and Ramos struggled quite a lot, but that was beneficial for England, of course, that could counter-attack and got those amazing three goals. I mean, there were amazing three goals because actually they were all slightly different. Um, and then they could have had a, a chance for a fourth goal uh, with Raheem Sterling going to ground. It looked like his foot was trampled on a little bit. But, you know, do you think that was a penalty yourself, Roman? 
Well, I think it could have been a penalty perfectly. There is a clear contact on Sterling and of course Sterling falls after that and his chance is gone. So obviously the referee has to interpret what he considers penalty or not and then I think it could have been but in the end he decided not to blow up for it. Yeah, I think the question is really whether it's inside or outside the box on that one. And then uh, perhaps one of the more controversial calls of the game, not to give a penalty to Rodrigo, who got into a bit of a tangle, shall we say, with Jordan Pickford. And then Pickford made an excellent tackle and cleared the ball out for a corner. But did he foul Rodrigo in the process of then getting that tackle in? Um, I have to say, I reckon this one was a penalty. What, What do you think? At first, I did think it was a clear penalty. So it, it looks like he's like pulling Rodrigo back and because of that, Rodrigo doesn't get to the ball. But then when you see the replay and all its angles, you can see how um, Pickford does put in his foot right um, into the ball without touching Rodrigo. There is a bit of shoving before that, but I don't know if it's enough. So it's again, interpretation of the referee. These are really complicated situations. And I think in this case, it's okay not to give a penalty. Okay, so no penalties either way. Now, let's just talk about this outcome for Spain because, well, look, none of us expected this. And it was a very different game to the the meeting at Wembley earlier on this autumn when Spain won there by two goals to one. And it seemed like the players who pressured England from the front at Wembley just couldn't do it in front of a home crowd in Seville. And I'm looking particularly at Iago Aspas, maybe even Marco Asensio. Uh, He he seemed like he couldn't quite make the inroads that he wanted to. And in the end, he got frustrated. What, What happened to those two? And did England do anything different from that game at Wembley? Well, Marco Asensio has to be said that he's not um, going through his best moment at Real Madrid. And I think that might be affecting him in in the national team too. He has a lot of pressure from people expecting him to step up for Madrid. And in Spain, he feels a bit more um, freed. But at the same time, he still has that pressure on him. He's like playing in a certain psychological state, let's say. So I think he he, he tried to do what he, he does best. But England were quite smart. They closed down the gaps. Their defense was really solid today, um, I must say that. And Iago Aspas on the other side, he also, he also tried to do what he usually does. But Iago Aspas can have good games with Spain and then other more discreet games. And I think this was one of those discreet games. He tried, but unfortunately England were really solid. The fullbacks were very concentrated, no mistakes. Chilwell, we had doubts whether he would um, perform at a good level, but it has to be said that he was great. So Southgate studied the game very well. He knew where he made mistakes last game and I think he corrected them properly this time. Yeah, I think the the change to four at the back made a difference. Uh, Gave England a bit more uh, bodies in midfield, if you like, and able to control the game a little bit more, although of course Spain had more possession. And then he switched to three at the back halfway through the second half. And I think that was also significant to try and disrupt Spain's rhythm um, and, and, and just try and give them something else to think about. So Gareth Southgate is clearly still impressing after the World Cup. It's not like, uh, you know, that was a, a fluke. Let's just bring you some reaction from this game. Well, Sergio Ramos uh, said that they gifted England the first half, really. The, the positive thing, though, is how the team reacted. And it was a shame because it brought to a halt a, a good run of form. Uh, and what about Lucho? Luis Enrique, the uh, Spain coach, he said, well, the first half was awful. Uh, the first goal killed us and that they actually made a lot of individual mistakes, but that it will be good to recharge the batteries, analyse players and work out what the next squad will look like uh, for the game in November. Uh, but things are still in their hands. They have to win in Croatia to go through to the final four. And that's what he's going to try and do. Um, in terms of statistics, 
It's the worst half-time deficit that Spain have ever suffered in a game at home in their history. So that's when they were 3-0 down. First time that Spain have lost at home in a competitive game uh, in 39 games. The last was in 2003. They were beaten by Greece in Saragossa in a Euro 2004 qualifier. First time that Spain have ever conceded three goals at home in a competitive game, which is really quite something. And it's England's first goals and first victory over Spain in Spain since February 1987. Uh, on that occasion, uh, they won 4-2 at the Bernabeu with Gary Lineker scoring all four goals. And I think one positive stat for Spain is that Paco Alcácer's 10 shots on target for club and country have resulted in 10 goals, which is absolutely astonishing. Now, here's the big question. Here's the big question. How does this affect the Partidazo Predictions overall table? Um, if you're unaware of what Partidazo Predictions is, it's a, a video that we do each and every Friday on our YouTube channel. So go check it out. That's youtube.com forward slash C forward slash La Liga Lowdown or simply put La Liga Lowdown into your search engine if that's easier. Obviously, this time we went for Spain versus England. And we all tried to forecast uh, the correct score. Um, we all failed miserably. And by the way, if you get the correct score on exactly right, you get three points. If you get just the result right but the scoreline wrong, uh, then you get just the one point. So Ewan went 3-1, Alex went 3-1, Paco went 2-0, Romani went 2-1, I went 4-1, so I'm the most inaccurate. Uh, but none of us win any points here. So uh, Ewan and Paco are joint leaders with eight, and then joint third are Roman, yourself, uh, Alex, and me, all on four points. So that's how it stands. Um, now, let's um, focus on the game last Thursday, which was perhaps a little bit cheerier for Spain fans, as they went to the Principality Stadium in Cardiff, and they put four past a rather hapless Wales side uh, in a friendly uh, the team which started this one slightly different look to it uh, David De Gea in goal then you had Aspiricueta Raul Albiol Sergio Ramos and Jose Gaya as your back four a midfield three of Saul Rodri Hernandez and Dani Ceballos and then a front three of Asuso Alvaro Morata and Paco Alcácer that was the 11 that started away to Wales let's just take you through uh, the game because it finished 4-1 to Spain uh, Paco Alcácer scoring the first it was a, a crossfield ball Wayne Hennessy came to punch it out. The ball just sort of ricocheted around. Algas had finished well into the top left-hand corner. And then Sergio Ramos headed home at a second, unmarked from a Suso free kick. The third, Alcácer again, more comedy defending here from Wales, couldn't clear their lines. Uh, and it was once again the Borussia Dortmund striker who pounced on the volley. And then uh, the fourth and final goal came from another cross, a free kick from Suso again. And it was Mark Bartra with an, an excellent glancing header that Hennessy could do nothing about. Uh, Sam Vokes did score a consolation for Wales late on. So 4-1 are the final score. Um, let's talk a little bit about Paco Alcácer because this is one bright spot to come out of the international break. Uh, he's taken a lot of headlines recently. He's averaging a goal pretty much every half an hour right now. What, what is he eating? Because I want some. I mean, it's, it's, it's brilliant. Uh, he's just hit form out of nowhere after what was a very difficult time at Barcelona. So what do you put it down to, Roman? It's incredible, to be honest, because he's gone from... He was scoring goals when he had to, but now he's just like freed himself completely. He feels so liberated at Borussia Dortmund. He's found his form. He's scoring goals. I think all that pressure he had at Barcelona is just vanished completely now. And in Borussia Dortmund, they play a way football that adapts quite well to his style. And when this guy starts scoring, goals and goals and goals just keep coming. And we're seeing it now. We absolutely are. And I think he is a real option for uh, Luis Enrique. Um, what about one of the other sort of forgotten players? Because Paco Alcácer had been in the sort of international wilderness for some time. What about Suso? Uh, he's only actually played in La Liga when he was on loan at Almería. Um, so actually breaking into the squad in the first place, how much an achievement was that? And, and how much of an asset is he to Luis Enrique? Because he assisted three of the four goals against Wales on Thursday night. 
Suso has been giving really good performances with Milan for the past few years. And to be honest, it was strange that no manager was taking him into account. And it's actually nice that Luis Enrique has thought of him and he's um, realized that Suso can be a great player to use in certain games as he's very um, very offensive he goes in deep on the wings he can cross really well he can shoot really well so he gives a lot of alternatives for the team and he proved that against Wales he showed that he can cross the ball perfectly he can assist and he can be a really really good use for Luis Enrique I think it's one of those things isn't it we don't see it often in a Spain shirt an out-and-out winger, a traditional old-school winger who likes to to get to the byline, who likes to cross balls in, really put defences under pressure with the quality of his deliveries. I don't think Spain have too many players that are actually like that. So again, it's a, it's a good little change-up that for Lucho. Uh, so where are we at with all this? Well, instead of getting, well, essentially it was just a draw that Spain needed against England, that pretty much would have secured them their place in the final four, which is the sort of the first culmination phase, if you like, of the uh, UEFA Nations League uh, next summer. Now they've got to go to Zagreb in November and they've got to do a job there and, and win. And that will be what will take them through if they do it. So just try and recap this for us, Roman. What what positives does Luis Enrique take out of this international break? And, and what is there that they really need to work on? Well, I think that the main positive here is definitely the attitude. We've seen how players keep running, keep um, pressing really high. They really want the, the ball. They want to score. They want to get the chances. And it's clearly it's a clear um, demonstration of how Luis Enrique has transmitted his mentality to the players. So I think that's the best thing we can take out at the moment. The team is playing quite well, to be honest. And where they have to work on is definitely in defence. We've seen how... Well, against England, these three goals, they could have been avoided if uh, the two centre-backs had been um, more um, synchronised, let's say. So I think that's going to be something that Luis Enrique is going to focus on a lot, defensive. He might have to find another centre-back to go with Sergio Ramos. Maybe Nacho is not the adequate solution, but we'll have to see what he decides because he's bringing on new, new men every time there's international break. So that's something we'll find out soon enough. Yeah, I think that's one of the most fascinating things about uh, the Luis Enrique Reina as young as it is so far is that you don't know who is going to be in that squad list. It doesn't seem to matter who you play for uh, if you are in good form and in contention. Let me let me chuck a, a name your way, Roman, on this particular point. You mentioned centre-backs, perhaps. Well, one person he said that actually might make the list in future is Inigo Martinez if he carries on performing at the level that he's at. Do you think that he would be a useful option for Luis Enrique to have? Well, of course, Inigo Martinez has always been one of those names that we've um, talked a lot about in Spain, you know, as a future centre-back to take over Piqué, take over Ramos or whoever. So he's definitely one of the main picks for Luis Enrique. It's a matter of seeing whether he can adapt and he can demonstrate a constant high level game after game. So it's going to be interesting to see if Inigo Martinez finally gets that position he surely desires. Okay, right. Well, that's pretty much it for this first half of the podcast. Uh, we say goodbye to Roman. Roman, thank you very much indeed for joining me. Thanks for having me, David. Anytime. It's a busy week for Roman coming, especially in Barcelona, uh, because as you may know, Inés Valverde this side have got some big games coming up, both domestically and in Europe. And uh, we're also going to be discussing a, a couple of the Spain youth teams in detail with you and McTeer. That is coming up in a couple of ticks.
And welcome back to the Lally Galodan mini pod with Redis Akarnov, broadcast on Sirius XMFC 157 in North America. And having chatted in part one with Roman de Arquer out in Barcelona about all things Spain, as in the senior squad, uh, let's now discuss a few more international football topics concerning Spain and to hear from Ewan McTeer, who is based in Madrid. Hello, Ewan. Uh, you've been uh, away back in the motherland, haven't you? Uh, how was your trip to Scotland? Yeah, very good. Uh, saw a bit of uh, Scottish football, but not quite as good quality as what we're used to in La Liga. Uh, not quite as warm over there, I gather. That also, yeah. <laughs> well, listen, I hope you are um, back in uh, normal warmer climes over in Madrid. And um, as we stand, we're recording this on a Monday night. Uh, we know the Spain youth teams still playing on this international break. The under-21s are away in Iceland on Tuesday in the final game of their Euro qualifying campaign, having beaten Albania 1-0 away from home last week. Uh, Rafa Mir uh, scoring the goal in the 84th minute after coming off the bench. Um, and it means that they have got uh, eight wins out of nine in their qualifying group. They've already made the Euros for next year. Uh, this was a, a hard-fought victory, though, wasn't it, you? And they, they needed to be patient in this game. Yeah, they really did. And it's you know they'd already haven't qualified for the for the tournament. I guess you know maybe the motivation is isn't quite as there as it um, as it has been in the past. But yeah, it, maybe it's a good thing that you know uh, they've shown that they can come through a game where things weren't going their way, where the opposition uh, were playing better than most probably expected, better than they probably expected. Um, but they've still been able to come away with a with a victory, and you know that's what you say when you get into February March time where. Uh, a real contender for a league or for a Champions League is able to grind out a victory away from home. It's an old cliche, but you know sometimes that's the, that's the kind of result that you're happier by instead of maybe a 4-0 win. Yeah, actually, Luis de la Fuente mentioned patience and trying to be um, a little bit more clinical in the finishing um, and in terms of the, the game itself well yes it was about breaking down the Albanian wall and they eventually did that uh, six minutes from time and, and he actually made some bold changes in this match didn't he the Spain under 21 coach bringing on Alfonso Pedraza who we know uh, is at Villarreal uh, Rafa Mir who's playing his football uh, in Segunda with Las Palmas on him from Wolves and Dani Olmo uh, they all came on around the air mark uh, for Pablo Fornals Borja Mayoral and Fabrián Ruiz uh, the first two obviously playing in La Liga and uh, Fabian was with Betis last season but is now in Serie A uh, perhaps the least well-known name though is Danny Olmo just tell us a little bit about him you and what he brings yeah he's probably the least known name because he doesn't play in Spain he plays in Croatia playing for uh, Dinamo Zagreb which is which is quite unusual there's been a lot of talk um, anyone who who follows UK football or lives in the UK will know there's been a lot of talk in recent years about um, the the desire and the the wish to send English players or Scottish players or any British players abroad to experience different European leagues, and it's not something that's really talked about much in Spain. There are quite a lot of players do move to the Premier League, um, and a few maybe go to to Serie A. But the ones that that leave Spain, uh, there's not many of them, and they definitely don't tend to go to to Croatia to further their development. So it's an interesting prospect. Not only is he playing uh, with a team that's competing for for national titles, but he's getting European football. It's an interesting career path he's taken, an unusual one, um, but it seems to be going well for him. And another new player uh, who De La Fuente mentioned, another player who plays outside Spain, a fullback, Paul Lirola. What information can you give us on him, Ian? Yeah, so like Dani Olmo, he's also Catalan. And again, he's another one who has uh, moved abroad and his uh, route is a bit more tried and tested. He's gone to Serie A and he's not the first. Came through the, the Espanol and Barcelona youth systems, as many Catalans do, and then made the switch to Juventus about three years ago. Um, he never really made it Juventus, went out on loan to Sassuolo, but impressed so much that they decided to, to go ahead and buy him outright. So um, he's you know made, again, another interesting career path. 
maybe it's a debate we'll start to have if if uh, these guys really kick on and make the senior team um, or if other guys take similarly uh, exotic twists toward the, the senior La Roja side. Um, let's go down the age categories then to the under-19s because Spain have qualified for the elite round of qualifying ahead of next year's Euros in Armenia. A 3-0 victory over Belarus in Basel. Um, some names to look out for here. Barcelona's Abel Ruiz, and they've seen the first on four minutes. Then Antonio Blanco of Real Madrid getting the second before the half hour. And it was Sergio Gomez, who was actually with Borussia Dortmund. So another example uh, who finished it off on the hour. So Spain, top of their group. Six points from six as we record this podcast. They play Switzerland on Tuesday night. Uh, by which point we hope they will have made it nine points out of nine. And a couple of other names to mention here, Ewan. Obviously, Ferran Torres, uh, Valencia fans will know him. He's a, a terrific young winger. A lot is expected of him. Uh, he played the whole game. And another guy who started, uh, Juan Miranda. He's got a lot of potential, hasn't he? Yeah, he really has. So he's a left-back. And he's actually the guy that's the, the backup to Jordi Alba this season. Um, Barcelona fans will know that um, Lucas Digny left in the summer and uh, wasn't really replaced but that's because the, the sporting department at Barcelona were confident enough in Juan Miranda uh, to believe that he can make the step up if it's needed and so Juan Miranda is only 18 years old and Barcelona have another left back who was playing in the B team which is uh, Mark Cucurella a uh, difficult name to pronounce and they sent him out <laughs> on loan to Ibar because uh, so he's 20 years old two years ahead of Juan Miranda but rather than keep him around to be the the sort of backup left back to Jordi Alba. They were willing to let him go out to Eibar and to keep Juan Miranda. That's a real statement of how much confidence they have in him. OK, well, let's keep a, a close eye on those names and also, of course, uh, who they're playing for, whether it be in La Liga or abroad. But from the young guns to uh, the established senior players, let's focus back on La Liga. Um, look, you know, I know we've only had eight rounds of games, but this season it has been especially competitive it's it's the usual stick to try and beat La Liga with which is that it's just like Scotland in the Celtic and Rangers days just with money um, but you can't say that about this season um, let's just try and illustrate that with one one simple metric really if you just take the difference between the top team and the bottom team in each division then this is how it looks in the five major European leagues so Serie A have the biggest gap 25 points after eight games because Juventus are on 24 uh, and Kievo are on minus one uh, so that's why it's 25 uh, League A uh, they have a 22 point difference uh, between top and bottom after nine games PSG on 27 Gangar on five in the Premier League it's 18 points after eight games Man City on 20 Cardiff on two in the Bundesliga it's a bit tighter at uh, 12 points after seven games because Dortmund have 17 and uh, VfB Stuttgart have five that's largely down to Bayern absolutely blowing it in the last few weeks by the way and in La Liga it is the tightest table 11 points between top and bottom after eight games Sevilla are the leaders of course on 16 and Wesker have five and of course allied to that Barcelona and Real Madrid have dropped points aplenty Barca have dropped nine Real Madrid 10 so how do you explain it? Yeah, I think you have to go back to, to explain this to a few years ago when La Liga struck the new TV deal. So in the past, teams used to negotiate their, their own TV deals with the companies and, and obviously this, this favoured the, the bigger sides, Barca and Real Madrid, because uh, let's be honest, those are the, the matches most fans want to tune in for. Um, but La Liga decided to adopt a similar approach to the Premier League and collectively bargain um, for the, the TV deals, the TV rights. And the, what they decided to do was to split the pie a little bit more evenly. So uh, the collective bargaining has managed to help grow the pie 
And on top of that, they're splitting the pie more evenly. So a lot of small clubs are now earning money that they would only have been able to dream of just a few years ago. You look at um, you know some of the middle class teams in La Liga, uh, their TV income has gone up by you know uh, three figure percentages in the last few years. Barcelona and Real Madrid has gone up too, but by about five ten percent. Atletico's has gone up by about fifty percent. But all these sort of smaller teams are earning you know double what they were before. And obviously that you know money money talks and that translates into better squads, better wages, and as we're seeing this season, more competitive fixtures in uh, in La Liga. There's no there's no real easy games now, especially when the big teams go away from home. Yeah, I mean it's mad to think that neither Barcelona nor Real Madrid have actually won any of their last three games. I can't remember the last time that will have happened. The last three match days that you won't have seen either a Barca victory or a Real Madrid victory. And of course, Barca losing at Leganés and Real Madrid losing both at the uh, Sanchez Pizjuan against Sevilla and then also uh, against Alaves at Mendizorotza. Um, of course, this weekend coming, uh, we'll be almost a quarter of the way through after match day nine. And what a game to come back to. Barcelona take on Sevilla, which is second against first. Um, and Barca, in fact, have a, a tricky trio of fixtures coming up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, Sevilla, as we mentioned in La Liga, then Inter Milan in the Champions League, and then El Clasico against Real Madrid. I suppose, you and the good thing for them is that they've got all of those games at home. Um, so how crucial is this run of, of three matches over the course of nine days? Well, given as we've just been talking about the fact that Real Madrid are dropping points and Atletico are as well, um, maybe it's not so crucial that they get you know six points out of these two upcoming La Liga games and in the Champions League you know a draw against Inter wouldn't be the worst uh, given that they've taken maximum points so far in Europe so I don't think uh, mathematically or in terms of their chances of winning these tournaments it's crucial that they uh, you know pick up three points three points three points what I do think is crucial is that they change the attitude you know it's just not been good for Barcelona and there's a, a real risk of getting stuck in the rut and losing that sort of winning mentality that they just had last season where they didn't go undefeated in the end but they went very close all the way up to I think it was the second or third last game uh, so they approached every match expecting to win there's a lot of young players in this squad and you know confidence could struggle if they don't win so I think it's crucial for the, the mentality more than anything that they start winning especially against Sevilla uh, another thing they'll have to contend with uh, is the news that Thomas van Marlen uh, injured his right hamstring playing for Belgium against Switzerland. He's set to be out for six weeks, they reckon. And this leaves him even more thin at the back, doesn't it? Because Samuel Titi has been struggling recently too. Yeah, it really does. So it kind of leaves, you know, Jared Piquet and, and Clement Linguet as the only two. And not only have they maybe not been too convincing, the pair of them so far, but one more injury, one more suspension, and you're really, you've really got some problems. But um, there'll always be somebody that can step in, you know. Uh, now that you've got Arthur in midfield, you know, if Busquets has to, to drop further back and uh, Arthur play a bit more in the Busquets role, there's, there's things you can do uh, to solve these problems. I don't know, stick Ter Stegen in there at centre-back. I'm sure he'd, <laughs> he'd do all right there. Um, the problem is, as you mentioned, the upcoming games are very difficult ones. Um, so you maybe can't get away with that against the likes of Inter Milan or Real Madrid. Um, but yeah, it's it's not ideal. Um, but who'd have thought it? Who'd have thought Barcelona fans would be uh, nervous at the news of a Thomas Vermaelen injury? Mm. Um, <laughs> he's he's become their their last hope. He really has. Uh, we'll see how, how they fare in those three games. Uh, obviously, as far as Inter Milan's concerned, well, they've got six points from six as well as Barcelona have. So it may well be. It's, it's just, you know, seeing who finishes top of the group and both of them will qualify in any case. So not that crucial in terms of that particular game. But you never know with these sort of twists and turns that La Liga takes the games against Sevilla and, of course, the Clasico uh, at the Camp Nou, where Real Madrid tend to play better than they do at the Bernabeu. Um, now, at the other end of the league... Um, 
we've had our first managerial casualty of the season um, and it's come at new boys Wesker who uh, ended up parting company with Leo Franco they replaced him with Francisco Rodriguez another new name for us so what can you tell us about the new man Ian? Well, you know, he does have a bit of uh, La Liga experience from his from his time with Almeria. Um, and did you know, he actually won the Manager of the Month competition a couple of times. I think that kind of just goes down to the fact that Almeria were very hot and cold. When they were good, they were very good. When they were bad, they were very bad. And right now, Huesca are very bad. So it's a bit of a shame for Leo Franco. I mean, this was like his first professional coaching gig um, after doing a bit of work with the youth system there. So uh, for him to get so few games and to be kicked out when Huesca, who I think we can all admit have the least talented squad in the division, were the favourites for relegation and they haven't done too bad they haven't won since opening day but they've won we've seen uh, this stage last season there were uh, two or three teams that hadn't won a game yet so it's a shame for him but we'll see how Francisco does he's not overly experienced either he's only uh, 40 years old so it sort of just seems like a a similar kind of appointing a sort of inexperienced guy who's, who's shown a bit of promise with youth teams and in the lower divisions and just hoping it works um, I don't know I'm not very convinced by it yeah I mean uh, Franco just lasting eight games wasn't it unbeaten the first two got four points from those and then just one from the the next 18 on offer so uh, and it was it was the 8-2 wasn't it at the Camp Nou that, that really set that run going so uh, he has been a little unfortunate but in any case now it is Francisco is the man who is uh, who is taking them forward they will hope and of course it's such a tight table so you know you string some results together and maybe you can hop out of that bottom three um, let's just look at all the games then uh, that are coming up this weekend on match day nine the Friday night game is at Balaidos Celta against Alaves and of course the last team that they beat are Real Madrid and they are in the lunchtime game at home to Levante uh, so that's uh, at 1pm Central Eastern time then we head to Mestalla uh, for Valencia against Leganes followed by another big game in the uh, Valencian community which is Villarreal at home to Atletico pressure on Javi Calleja there uh, would probably rip your arm off for a point right now against uh, the team who are currently sitting third um, and the Saturday night game Barcelona versus Sevilla as we've mentioned second against first big big game in La Liga then we head to Sunday and we start off with a derby in the capital Raya Vallecano against Getafe at Vallecas and then we head up to the Basque Country for another derby as Eibar take on Athletic uh, on Sunday evening we've got Huesca versus Espanyol so that first game for Francisco against Rubiside who've done very very well so far uh, sitting in what is it now fifth place and then Sunday night Rabatis against Real Valladolid who've also picked up recently seventh place with 12 points would you believe uh, very very good uh, performance so far for the newly promoted side the Monday night game uh, is at Anueta between Real that and Girona. So what tempts you out of that list, you and uh, what are the main talking points, would you say? Well, I think Sevilla-Barcelona has got to be interesting with it being the, the champions against the league leaders, but the one I think I'm most looking forward to is Villarreal against Atletico Madrid because as poor as Villarreal have been this season, uh, this is a fixture where they've won the last three in the last three seasons when Atletico have visited 2-1 last year, they've won 3-0 a couple of years ago when Atletico were really, really poor. Probably the worst game they've had under Simeone and 1-0 the year before that. In fact, since Simeone took over on his six visits, he's only won twice. So this is a tricky fixture for Atletico Madrid. I don't know why, but they seem to, to step up. I think their style suits playing Atletico Madrid quite well. So this is, you know, Atletico are going to be favourites given the form coming into this one. Uh, but after an international break and time to prepare for this and with Calleja's job on the line, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Villarreal caused Atletico problems. 
I'm going to pick out Abar against Athletic. Athletic are under a little bit of pressure under Tottenham. So even though they've actually drawn against both Real Madrid and Barcelona so far this season, uh, but they are just above that relegation zone. Yes, they have played one game here because that game against Real was, was postponed, of course, but they head to Ipurua uh, and Abar are not going to make their life easy. So that's, that's the one that I think might have a little bit of intrigue to it as well. Um, well, just before we go, guys, just to remind you of a way you can find all of our content on all platforms as La Liga returns of course our Twitter feed will have all the reaction to the uh, Spain-England game and also uh, build up to the return on match day 9 of La Liga you can head to at La Liga Lowdown on Twitter uh, just have a little nose around get to know us uh, there's our YouTube channel as well so that's youtube.com forward slash C forward slash La Liga Lowdown we'll put this podcast up as another way for you to listen uh, plus we've got Partidas predictions on the way each and every Friday by the way rapid roundup on the Monday and some other bits and pieces that crop up too from time to time our website has uh, info on all of our score not just you and myself but Alex Paco Roman you can find all of our content there too so visit www.laligalowdown.com and uh, finally as far as this podcast is concerned feel free uh, to rate us five stars give us a nice review if you like what you're hearing and you can also hear it in North America during the regular weeks of the season on Sirius XMFC 157 uh, my thanks to Ewan McTeer thank you for joining me no problem always a pleasure thank you also to you for listening that's your La Liga Lowdown we'll see you next time was a Radio Staccato production. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey guys, welcome to Giggly Squad, a place where we make fun of everything, but most importantly, ourselves. I'm Paige DeSorbo. I'm Hannah Burner. Welcome to the squad. Giggly Squad started on Summer House when we were giggling during an inappropriate time. But of course, we can't be managed. So we decided to start this podcast to continue giggling. We will make fun of pop culture news. We're watching. Fashion trends. Pep talks where we give advice. Mental health moments. And games and guests. Listen to Giggly Squad on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.